Good morning. The, the bishop was in his circuit, uh, going from all the rural, going to churches to churches, and uh, and he happened to be in one small church, and as the and he's supposed also to preach. And, uh, when the service is just about to start, he looked around, and there was not too many people around. So he asked the local priest, and he said, "Don't they know I'm coming?" And the priest said, "I couldn't keep the secrets." <laughs> well, it's good to come together to the Lord's to just consider His word as being read to us. Now, what's read to us is actually part of what we call the the Jesus teaching at the upper room. And it actually started in chapter 13. And chapter 13, uh, Jesus sort of uh, played the host to his disciples in a borrowed room where he actually uh, acted as a host by actually washing the disciples' feet. Washing the disciples' feet. Because as a host, you actually do that as their customer. But because there was no servants to do it, Jesus himself played the servant role and washed the servant's feet. All right. Now, it goes on. Uh, it's a long chapter. It went on till chapter 17 where Jesus ended with, he, uh, John recorded about Jesus' prayer. How Jesus prayed. And it's, it's a fascinating prayer. And we are considering this today, a very short passage within that. A very short passage within that. And I was, when I was preparing, uh, I, I always like to read the whole book first to see the context whereby this will actually fall in. And you come to the last chapter of, nearly the last chapter of, of John's Gospel. In John chapter 20, it says here in verse 30, it says, Jesus did marry many miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So we do know the purpose of John writing what he chooses to put into his gospel. There are two things he wants to do. First is that they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And second, by believing, they may have life in his name. Good theology, good doctrine leads to the right life. They are coupling together. By believing right, you only know how to live right. So this is John's purpose as he chose the thing to put into what he wrote as his gospel. Now, maybe just go on to what will be the challenges the disciples, the, the people when, when John is writing this, 
what will he feel the challenges of the Christians at that time will be facing as regard to these two areas? Believing right and living right. John says that, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. That's why he's saying that Jesus is the Messiah. When the disciples believe that Jesus is the have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, they face challenges because the Messiah's messianic expectations come from the Torah and the Tanah, which is actually the Jewish scripture, and so they'll be facing to answer the Jewish part of the population, which actually engages them and object to that, and also they use the occasion to share the gospel through that, that Jesus is the Christ. And John wants the Christian there to be amply equipped to be able to do that. Because it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Actually, during that time, the Jews have more than one views of the Messianic Expectation. Some say there's, that, 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 there's no messianic expectation because it's very fragmented. The messianic prophecy is fragmented and it could just mean the immediate rulers of that time in the contact. Some believe there'll be one Messiah and he'll come in a blaze of glory and to actually rescue. The, and restore the kingdom of Israel. And some be, even believe there are two Messiah because there's one Messiah seems to be like a, a, a suffering Messiah and then the other one is a victorious. And they could not put that two together. So there's a lot of differences among the Jews in this Messianic expectation. Actually, they were actually reading the Bible quite seriously and sincerely and they could not actually put this together but the Christian can do it the Christian because they saw in Jesus fulfilling all the messianic expectation so the thing to learn is that we couldn't I mean it's quite difficult to construct from the Old Testament to point up to somebody to construct the messianic expectation to a person but it's easier and it's more revealing to see the Messianic expectation from Jesus. And then when you look back, you can see how Jesus actually fulfilled all the Messianic expectation. Even the sacrifice, the, 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 the worship, the lamb which was sacrificed, they saw all that. But you must look it through Jesus. You cannot actually sometimes find, very, you find it difficult to construct it just from the Old Testament. So that is the challenge. That is the challenge which they have. So the John is writing to help them in this. Now in this short passage we have read is six verses. What happened is that Jesus was in the way predicting to the disciples say what will happen quite immediately. After that night, he was actually arrested, put on trial, humiliated, 
whipped, and finally put on the cross. And that was the suffering they're going to suffer, the despair they're going to have very immediately. And later on, when Jesus Christ rose again, that despair will turn to joy when they see Jesus coming to to them again. And Jesus actually says that he used a metaphor of a woman going through the pain of childbirth, painful experience. I'm not qualified to, to, to tell you how painful it is. But after that, the joy of receiving the child. Receiving the child. So, that's the message. And I look back and say, how would that, what John put in that short passage help in what he wanted to do? To point that Jesus is the Christ. How would that do it? Notice that Jesus actually predicted what is going to happen. He knew what is going to happen. What happened to Jesus was not accident, accidental. He was not caught up in circumstances beyond his control and he is a helpless victim. Arrested, put on trial, punished with a whip and then crucified. Jesus was not a helpless victim. That's what John wants to know, tell them. Jesus knew all that coming. Jesus knew all that coming. Even when I, when Jesus was whipped and all that, Matthew says that he should have called 12 legions of angels to come down I think one angel could wipe off the whole world, but we, we need 12 legions to tell us the lesson. But Jesus would not say enough, enough. But he went through it purposefully. So Jesus is the Messiah because he actually knew what is to come. What is to come. It's not that he read the circumstances whereby he see, as his teachers, more people are having a bit of uh, objection, and there could be an uprising such a way that he could not escape this. There was some prophecy that actually was spot on, that only a person, only God can know. He prophesied, he knew about Judas' betrayal, and he was clear that Peter would deny him. And this take more than just you know reading the circumstances. He knew what was happened. And yet, knowing what is to happen to him, Jesus went through the cross. And because of that, we know he is always being in control. The prophet in the Old Testament prophesied of Jesus. Jesus himself revealed what is to take place and he fulfilled what is to be taken place. So Jesus was always in control. He is, as John put, he is the Christ. 
He is the Christ. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. So, this is one of the things. This is, I believe, not fully, because this actually, this, this, this thought of Jesus being knowing, uh, knowing what's going to happen and all that, form part of the rest of the Gospel of John, teaching the disciple that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. That's the first part of what John's intention was to be. The second part is, in believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, by believing that, John says that, therefore you know how to have life in his name. How to have life in his name. And I was thinking, how would that come through here? And maybe it's not in here. Then as I was reading through the metaphor of the woman being pregnant and giving birth. Now there are similarities between what goes, uh, what happened to the disciple and the woman. When Jesus was caught, arrested, they were in distress. They scattered. They were scared. Their hope was dashed. They were hopeless. They were without hope. I think even their faith in Jesus Christ failed them. They were scattered. And only when Jesus Christ came back and as a person showed himself to them and they recognized that Jesus is the Messiah, then only that time of pain and despair was turned to much joy, much joy. The woman, in the sense, is the same. They have a period from conception to deliver, and even in the delivery time, it must have been a lot of sacrifice given by the woman to this child coming out. A lot of sacrifices. I have the real joy of uh, again witnessing this process because I just not uh, about nine months ago have a granddaughter and we were really rejoicing and seeing my daughter-in-law going through that and there was time it was you know woman's shape was distorted out of shape carrying extra weight having morning sickness and a lot a lot of sacrifices and to me the anticipation that you know before it actually ends you're going to really feel tremendous pain I do not know how you women actually take that you know when my wife told me you know tomorrow we're going to get a vaccine today I have cold sweat I hate the needle <laughs> but how did the woman do it you know every time you have a birthday call your mother up and say thank you it's, it's really the, so but yes the time of period of sacrifice and pain and then joy but the difference I'm the point of the difference between the woman going through that and the disciple the disciple was you know hopeless helpless and they were really do not know what's happening but 
the woman going through this this time, in spite of the discomfort, the pain, there is hope, there is joy, there is expectation. That is expectation. So that's the difference. And I think now what John perhaps can allude to is that as Christian, Jesus did say that only that the trouble only did not come during when he was crucified. And after that Jesus told the disciple, You will be hated by the world because the world hate me. And so we are actually now John's the the people who are reading John's John's uh, gospel, he knows they are actually facing difficulties. But the difficulty we face and they face now is that we have the joy while facing this problem. The difficulties we have. Not like the disciple, but more because now we see Jesus Christ already risen. Jesus is the Messiah. We face the difficulty, but we face, and then we, we have the hope, whether through death or His coming, that the hope of eternal glory. So the difference, that's the difference. So we now actually go through the, the difficulty with much hope, much assurance, much joy. It's a different journey. It's a different journey. So what happened to the disciples who, who were reading all this? We must, understand, we must get it that when John penned the gospel down, it was around the uh, 80, 90 or 70 to 90, around that. Not, and when he, he penned that down, the disciple which, who, who he wrote there was, you know, really chicken, running away in, in, in the midst of trouble, chicken and all that. These disciples were already, after when they saw Jesus, they were preaching the gospel. They were going to prison. They were boldly engaging the Jewish authority. So the readers who actually read was, uh, during John's time have already known who the disciples are, not the chicken is mentioned here. They are actually men of God who actually fiercely take the gospel even to the prison singing. What's the difference? I believe the difference is the Holy Spirit. That these people, the difference between just having knowledge about what is to come and failing, Jesus told them what's to come, but they fail. What's to come and fail? And after they've seen Jesus, yes, because they've seen Jesus coming out of life, that will really, really assure them. But what Jesus said in this sermon or the teaching in the upper room is also that I will give you the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit which both convict them that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, and that Jesus living in us, we have the hope of eternal, if all, eternal future. 
the eternal future, whether through death or through Christ's coming, it will be a time of tremendous joy. Really tremendous joy. About eight months ago, I, I went for a test and uh, there was a possibility of because I went a blood test and the blood test came out and it was like uh, oh oh there could be something you have to go and see the doctor about and have a full test and uh, I did I, I was thinking okay I got my ticket now now so in a way I was a bit happy but I was a bit disappointed when the future test came out that oh you know you have to leave some t- uh, you, you still have more years to come through but but really it's not it's no joke but you know when we when the next moment the next moment when I die and the next moment I, I see Jesus if I didn't say wow why did I wait so long then I'll be disappointed because it is going to be such a joy to be in His presence. Let me just end telling you a story. You know, we when we're back home, we do actually from time to time go to fortnightly actually we go to the rural area, the jungles in Malaysia, the jungles in Malaysia. And we go in there because there is a community there which we actually try in a small way, our care group, try to help. So when we go there on the weekend, we will actually on the Saturday, we will run tuition class because the school in there is not so good. So some of us are able to teach maths and, and a lot there, you know. But it's just a drop in the ocean. And then we try to have fellowship with them. On Sunday, we run the Sunday school, the Saturday night, we had Bible study with those people who are actually indigenous of Malaysia, most of them illiterate, and then we have a worship on Sunday. Now, on the Saturday night, when we have Bible study, there are people, women, men and women, and it was a small group, about 20 of them, they will walk through the jungle, pitch dark, and the jungle in Malaysia is the trees are packed, you know pitch dark and they walk for maybe an hour or two to come for a Bible study. So it really tells me I have to prepare the Bible study well for the sacrifice they made. Now I'll tell you of one woman in particular. One woman in particular. In Malaysia there is a concerted effort by the Malaysian Muslim government to convert Everybody to be Muslim. Because when they convert, they think that they are earning some credit up there, some brownie point. Actually, if a person become a Muslim from a non-Muslim in the jungle, they get a four-wheel drive. Literally. The budget for that is $1 billion for that department alone. So that's this woman, we actually one day drove to her house. She actually walked about one and a half hours to the to the Bible study, and then sometimes we manage, we, we take her back because they are, they, are, they are living all over. You cannot take one and then come back there. So we have to leave the rest to walk back. So we will just take one or two of them back and help that way. So one day we actually, on the way back, we dropped by and to, to her house. 
to a house. It's in another community, small community. And in that clearing, we, see, we saw two rows of houses. Two rows of what you call uh, brick and mortar houses with nice roof, proper windows and all that. Two rows. And in the last house where she stayed, she was living in a something like a chicken shed. It's a chicken shed. I, I, so we just drop it. We asked him, uh, asked her, who are who who are, who are these people? And she told me, these are indigenous people who actually says yes, we will become Muslim. And the moment they say that, they get a house. And I look at the house. The roof, you know, is made of attap, and when it's rain, they have to hide in the corner so they will not be actually affected by the rain and all that. And I was a bit rude. I say, "When are you getting the house?" She looked at me straight in the eye and she says, "I will not deny my lord for the biggest house in the whole of Malaysia." Suddenly, I feel this more. But she's illiterate. But her faith in the Lord is so, so sure. As she wait for the Lord, she do not mind the suffering. We go in there, we learn. I do not know, as we go back from here, what our challenges, what your challenge be, and what you know, I will face, what challenges I will face. But the Holy Spirit in me and the assurance that we are believing in the living Christ, the Messiah. I can be like the woman. Going through it. But not in despair. Not in looking at my suffering. But in much hope. In much hope of that glorious time where all this we return to joy. Shall we pray? Our Father God, we do, dear Lord God, have a life you have given us. Even now, through the Holy Spirit, we much assurance, dear Lord God, that it's not all about the life on earth now. We thank you, dear Lord God, that you have given us a future. You have, Jesus said, He goes back to prepare room for us. But just to be with you, to meet you again, will be so much joy already. And we thank you, dear Lord God. We thank you the time where the name of Jesus will be lifted up when every knees will bow every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord we look for that time because then dear Lord God you are truly fully glorified and we rejoice in that so we thank you for this glorious future you have given us through Jesus Christ we pray for each of us dear Lord God even as we go back in different ways to to face our world with hope. Help us 
through the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.